I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, taking aim. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. Lawmakers grill big tech CEOs over online child safety. We have the latest. Deal or no deal? While the actual text of a bipartisan Senate bill on border security has yet to be released, many House Republicans have already declared it dead on arrival. Frustrated lawmakers talk to EWTN News Nightly. Will he or won't he? Pressure builds as the world waits for President Biden's response to an Iran-backed drone strike that killed three U.S. troops. And witness to love. How a husband and wife in Louisiana became consultants of the Vatican. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. John Bosco. We begin tonight with a contentious hearing today on Capitol Hill. Senators facing off with the chief executives of Meta, Discord, Snap, TikTok, and X all answering uncomfortable questions about their platforms as the families of people harmed by social media listen closely. Senators are demanding big tech do more to safeguard children who often get hooked on apps and online sites. Lawmakers also focused on the addictiveness of social media and its impacts on children's health. Congress wants to pass more protective legislation and make it easier for parents to sue tech companies, regulations which the companies are against. Do you support removing Section 230 liability protections for social media companies? Um, I believe that Section 230 um, is, is, needs to be updated. It's a very old law. Do you, re, do you support repealing it so people can sue if they believe they're harmed? Um, I think that Section 230, as written, um, while it has many uh, downsides, has you, enabled innovation you, on the you, Internet, which I think you, has largely thank been... Thank you very much. So here you are. You got, if you're waiting on these guys to solve the problem, we're going to die waiting. You've got families from across the nation whose children are either severely harmed or gone, and you don't think it's appropriate to take a, talk about steps that you took? The fact that you didn't fire a single person? To, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Have you compensated any of the victims? Sorry? Have you compensated any of the victims? I, These girls, I, have you compensated them? I don't believe so. You, why not? Don't you think they deserve some compensation for what your platform has done? All right, some fiery words right there. Shortly afterwards, at the request of Senator Hawley, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg stood up and apologized to the families who have accused the social media giant of not doing enough to stop harm to their children. Besides repealing Section 230, the panel has already advanced multiple bills, including one that would bolster reporting requirements to a cyber tip line. Lawmakers also want to establish a commission to prevent online child sexual exploitation. And for more, let's bring in Michael Toscano, Executive Director of the Institute for Family Studies. Michael, thanks so much for coming on today. We appreciate it. Uh, this really is nothing new. I mean, we have seen this before, big tech companies uh, testifying before Congress about online safety precautions for their sites, yet no significant laws to protect kids have been passed by Congress recently. So, you know, why have these hearings? What's the point of this? That's a great question. Well, I think one effect of having these hearings, and I think this effect is growing and the pressure is increasing, so you, you mentioned, you described these hearings as contentious. But one thing that you will notice is that it's not contentious between Republican and Democrat senators. So there is a tremendous amount of 
uh, political value, I should say, in addressing this issue, the effect that, that these platforms are having on our kids, which is now proved to be devastating, terrible, everything that was uh, said by these senators at the hearing, that is a rallying point. And I think, you know, God willing, it will uh, be enough to finally get something passed to address this issue. Yeah, it's nice to see that bipartisan support for sure. Uh, I wanted you to listen to this. This is Mark Zuckerberg, and this is what he said about social media and mental health. Mental health is a complex issue, and the existing body of scientific work has not shown a causal link between using social media and young people having worse mental health outcomes. Still, we're going to continue to monitor the research and use it to inform our roadmap. Michael, your reaction to that? Uh, it's a shame um, that uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg is claiming that research doesn't show the uh, connection between social media use and the mental health problems among adolescents because uh, Meta, uh, Facebook's parent company and Instagram's parent company, has its own research that has been released to the public, which shows that they know very well that there is a connection there. And it's not just Meta's research, but it's our research at the Institute for Family Studies a colleague of ours at uh, the University of, uh, of uh, San Diego State, Gene Twenge, and Jonathan Haidt at NYU, a, a number of scholars, even Vivek Murthy, uh, U.S. Surgeon General, uh, are coalescing around utter confidence uh, on the effect that these platforms are having on the mental state of our kids. And that utter confidence is that what we are finding is that they are driving terrible things, despair, suicide ideation, general anxiety, um, and so on and uh, and so forth, litany of woes. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, just to be frank, Mr. Zuckerberg is, 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 is wrong, and he might even be lying, uh, uh, given the fact that his own company has done its own research. Yeah, and if you're a parent, you know that very well, too. Um, what do you think needs to happen to make social media sites and apps safer for kids, and, and what can we parents do? Well, I think uh, parents should remain uh, highly vigilant and engaged, uh, but I think, but right now, what they should be doing more than anything um, is that they should be calling their legislator and they should be explaining in detail the effect that this is having on their kids. What what needs to happen now is that parents who are the chief guardians of children need to be given more power over what their kids are seeing and doing online. One of the big problems here is that because of the secretiveness of these platforms on the devices, is that parents are just cut out. And whatever parental tools are provided to them are useless or they're opaque and difficult to use. So what's needed now is a, uh, is either for the industry to actually cough up some serious tools to give these parents to do something about it, or lawmakers need to do the, to, to force them to do that. Yeah, so much more we can talk about, but we got to leave it right there. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate your insights. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. On Capitol Hill, talks continue on a border security package that would unlock aid to Ukraine and Israel. Senators have been working on it for weeks now, but no one really knows what's in it. Plus, former President Donald Trump is urging Republicans in Congress to block it. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has the latest for us. Eric? Well, good evening, Tracy. Yes, the text of the bill still isn't made public just yet, and rumors are already flying. Everything from how many migrants are going to be allowed into the country to which ports of entry are going to remain open to parole processing times. 
Lawmakers are understandably frustrated, but I asked Republican Senator James Langford, who's been working on the bipartisan measure behind closed doors, to get his thoughts. What are you advising your Republican fellow Republicans out there? Just wait and see and read the bill? Re reading the bill, it, 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 it's always so funny to us. We, we talk a lot as Republicans about we don't want to vote on something until we read it. And I encourage people to have the exact same principle right now. And what about former President Donald Trump already saying the deal is a disaster for America? What, what's interesting is a lot of the elements that are in this bill, President Trump was actually looking for when he was president, uh, that he had said, hey, needs to be done. But people have to show courage. If you're afraid, you got to read the bill. I mean, don't be ignorant. Read the bill. Uh, and so if he hasn't read, maybe he's seen the bill. I don't know. Some of the reported rumors include the deal allows up to 5,000 migrants to cross the southern border daily, some illegally. Senator Langford tells me he would never agree to that. But that's not stopping several House Republicans from saying no deal. The things that you see reported about it are so shockingly bad that I can't conceive how it would solve anything. Others are reserving judgment. I've been waiting for the text, actually see the text, go through it. Um, you know, just because it's a deal doesn't make, make, make uh, doesn't ensure that it's a good deal. And, and we also shouldn't have the mindset of no deal is a good deal. House Speaker Mike Johnson spoke on the floor today highlighting the tragedies of an open border. As for the deal, it must contain true policy changes. It takes transformational policy changes that we know what policy changes will accomplish that. This is not conjecture. It's not Republican talking points. This is what the experts at the border at the epicenter tell us is necessary and needed. The speaker himself uh, said that, you know, this is this is a non-starter. He doesn't want to bring this to the table. Bipartisan solution uh, on the issue that they have been talking about uh, for a year. As I've been reporting, aid to Ukraine and Israel is tied to the current border security bill, but now Republican Senator J.D. Vance is calling for a clean, only Israel aid bill. You may recall the House passed a measure providing some $14 billion to Israel, but that was paid for by taking money from the IRS, and the bill has yet to see the light of day over here on the side of the Senate. Tracy. Well, Eric, in yesterday's newscast, uh, you highlighted the impeachment hearing against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. What's the latest there? Well, I tell you what, after a 13-hour marathon hearing, the House Homeland Security Committee voted 18 to 15 along party lines to advance articles of impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas. House Speaker Mike Johnson said on the floor just today, quote, that we will be moving forward swiftly on those articles. It's long overdue, but Secretary Mayorkas is only part of the problem. Again, he wants real border changes with this border security bill. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. Okay, thank you, Eric. Well, the Federal Reserve held its first meeting of 2024. Fed Chair Jerome Powell announced that the central bank will hold interest rates steady. This keeps the lending rate at a 23-year high. Definitely. Officials made it clear that there needs to be more My progress time. on inflation before reducing borrowing costs. Well, President Joe Biden has made it clear he is going to hit back after that deadly attack on U.S. soldiers in Jordan. We are just waiting to learn when, where, and how hard. And tonight, Iran has threatened to decisively respond to any U.S. attack on the Islamic Republic. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, President Joe Biden and his national security team no doubt have a wide array of options available on how to strike back. A weak response may do little to deter further attacks. On the flip side, there remains the fear of widening the current war. 
Huge columns of smoke rising above Gaza as Israeli forces press on with their offensive against Hamas. And as that war rages around the clock, the U.S. preparing its own retaliatory strikes in the Mideast, with President Joe Biden linking Tehran to the weekend drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers and injured at least 40 troops. In the White House press briefing room today, this update. We believe that the uh, uh, the attack in Jordan was... Uh, was a planned resource and facilitated by an umbrella group called the Islamic Resistance in Iraq. But an Iranian general warning, we are not after war, but we have no fear of war. And at the U.S. State Department, more questions about escalating violence. The United States response will not be escalatory. Uh, our actions to date to defend U.S. troops have not been escalatory. We have made clear from the outset of this conflict that we don't believe it's in anyone's interest to see the conflict escalate. Even before the attacks, the relationship between the U.S. and Iran already tense over its nuclear program. And earlier this week, the U.S. State Department announcing... The United States will continue to use all available tools to hold the Iranian regime accountable for its attempts to extend its repression internationally, as well as its ongoing human rights abuses against its own people and its actions to sow instability in the Middle East region and beyond. And at the International Religious Freedom Summit in Washington, one woman who fled from Iran decades ago told me women and religious minorities are suffering. It's hard because they cannot recognize them equal to men. They're lesser than men, and Baha'is are more than lesser. You know, it's to the bottom. Also tonight, Secretary of State Antony Blinken returns to the Middle East later this week. It'll be his fifth diplomatic mission to the region since war broke out last October. Several items on the agenda, including post-conflict reconstruction and governance in Gaza, humanitarian aid, and the hostages still held by Hamas since October 7th. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Uh, testifying before a House committee on Capitol Hill today, the director of the FBI issued a stark warning on China's ability to target water treatment plants and electrical grids right here in the U.S. China's hackers are positioning on American infrastructure in preparation to wreak havoc and cause real-world harm to American citizens and communities if and when China decides the time has come to strike. Christopher Wray added that there has not been enough focus on this cyber threat that affects every American. This supports assessments from outside firms. They say hackers could be laying the groundwork for communication disruptions between the U.S. and Asia. Well, in less than a week, Pope Francis has announced the third nomination of a new Chinese bishop. The new leader would be for the Diocese of Minbei in southeast China. The Holy See says the nominations took place within the framework of the 2018 agreement with Beijing. Uh, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including University Response. New developments in the story of a pro-abortion advocate who spoke at the Catholic University of America. And Christopher Bedford gives us his analysis of the debate over America's border security.
heard earlier, there is a lot of debate and questions over the Senate's bipartisan border bill. But what exactly is in the bill and what about the efforts in the House to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas? Here to discuss the future of the bill and the political strategy at work by both parties is senior fellow at the Common Sense Society, Christopher Bedford. Chris, great to have you back on. First off, I want to get your analysis of what's happening with this bill. Your thoughts? Well, right now it's looking really tough for this bill's survival. There's at the Republican conference where this bill has really been kicked from. Uh, basically, had to kind of come to Jesus lunch today, where there was an uprising against it. This is something that Mitch McConnell, the the Republican leader, has really tried to push through and elbow through, largely tied to his ability to get funding to the Ukraine war, which he considers kind of his last major political act. But cutting out so many Republicans from it has led to a lot of discontent. For example, uh, Senator Mike Lee today pushed forward a resolution that Republicans be given the average amount of time, two to three weeks, to read this bill before it had to be voted on. Mitch McConnell voted against that, but the Republicans are actually able to pass it. Um, and right now, it, we know it's dead on arrival in the House of Representatives. Speaker Johnson said no shot. But now it looks like that reality may even be true for the Senate. Chris, let's talk about the Democrats now. I mean, do you think that they're legislating in good faith here or, or simply just pushing this bill through, knowing that Republicans you know, are going to reject it? I hate to say it, but I do not think that they are legislating in good faith. Right now, the Democrats have recognized that the border is a major issue for them. Aside from some of the most vocal members of their base and some of the nonprofits, the border is something that Americans across the board are really concerned about. So they're, they want to do something. But now you see President Joe Biden out there saying, well, I need congressional action in order to make this work. I need you to do something to fix it. But everyone actually knows that there was no congressional action to break it. Border was fairly secure under the last administration, historically so. So that line doesn't work anymore politically. All of the problems we're seeing at the border are a result of executive actions from the White House, and they're trying to pass the buck before the election. And what about these efforts to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas? Do you think this is the right move? I, I think they've got a good reason. I think, yeah, it's it's worthwhile for Republicans to actually try to hold him to account and to air some of this dirty laundry and the fact that the border is so clearly not secure. I mean, that used to be something that you may hear about here, or you may hear about in Fox or read about, but now it's gotten so bad that people feel it in the northern cities. It's being covered by local news channels. It's being covered by groups that tried to hide this for a long time. No, I don't think that Mayorkas actually will be uh, impeached, but I think it's worth investigating for Republicans, at least politically. Chris, we have about 30 seconds left or so, but, but final thoughts on the border. Uh, the border's a problem that's actually finally reached Chicago, Boston, Washington, D.C., the city I've lived for 20 years. You can really see it. There's more illegal immigrants in this country now than there are citizens in Massachusetts. And it's becoming something that has been kind of a kickball over the last couple of decades. But now I think it's much more real in our, in our political process. Chris, thank you so much. Always appreciate your insights and time. God bless. Thank you. Well, the Catholic University of America has fired a professor whose guest speaker to students was a pro-abortion advocate. The guest lecturer is the founder and CEO of a doula company and spoke to a psychology class about working with women who have abortions. In announcing the firing, CUA's president says the school is committed to promoting the full truth of the human person. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, Love Thy Neighbor. A beloved children's character asks an important question and the world responds. Plus, a global marriage movement brings a family to the Holy See.
Welcome back. Beloved Sesame Street character Elmo received a flurry of responses to a recent post on his ex account regarding mental health. After checking in to see how everyone was doing, many answered, well, that they're not doing well. Several said they were anxious about the state of the world. Elmo followed up with another post saying that he was glad that he checked in and how important it is to ask a friend how they are doing. Yes, it is. Well, Pope Francis also weighed in on the dangers of anger, saying that we are called to follow the Lord's examples of forgiveness and peace. Siamo tutti peccatori, tutti. E tutti abbiamo i conti in rosso. As weekly talk, the Holy Father calling wrath, quote, a particularly dark vice. He also emphasized that anger destroys human relationships, so it's important to seek forgiveness. He also said if a person never gets angry, especially at an injustice, well, that would mean that they are not human and much less a Christian. Well, finally tonight, a Catholic couple from Louisiana receives an extraordinary honor from Pope Francis just last week. The Holy Father named Mary Rose and Ryan Verrett consultants to the dicastery for the Lady Family in Life. The Verrett's are internationally recognized speakers, authors, television hosts, and the co-founders of Witness to Love, an internationally used model of marriage renewal and preparation. And Mary Rose and Ryan join us now. Thank you both for coming on. Great to see you again. Uh, first Great off, can Congratulations. And how did you guys find out that you were appointed this important role? And what was your reaction? Uh, believe it or not, um, we first found out, if I could tell the story, um, I was praying early in the morning. I'll just say before 6 a.m. because we have little kids. And a priest friend sent me a text message that said, congrats. And I said, for what? And, he's, and I said, and so he let us know he had a, an image of the the bulletino, right, from, from Rome. So that's how we initially found out at around 5 in the morning on, on uh, December the 16th. Oh, my goodness. I love that. So, Mary Rose, what did you think when you heard the news? <laughs> we, we were just kind of stunned. We, we just didn't even, like, is this for real? And so we went to the Vatican press release uh, page on their website, and it said, basically in Italian, that, you know, the, uh, I can't remember what the Italian word was, but... Uh, it doesn't translate into English, but it was it was something like you know the the uh, the respected Ryan and you know, <laughs> and we're trying to convey this to our six children who are still waking up on a Saturday morning looking for pancakes. Yeah, they're like that sounds really nice. What's for breakfast? <laughs> yeah, where's my pancakes? I know how that exactly. goes. <laughs> I love it. Well, tell us exactly what you all will be doing as an official consultant to the Dicastery for Lady and Family Life, and I understand that you guys are the only couple from North America to be appointed to this role. Uh, correct. No, it's so it's often that, you know, uh, experts from around the world, you know, representing maybe different um, institutions or you know, people with, you know, degrees. Uh, but it's very unique that a, a married couple would be appointed to this role. Um, and I think it, it's just a, a beautiful and exciting thing. So it's, it's an honor, but it's also, you know, uh, it's a surprise. It's just, I think for us, it's, I think what, so as the messages and phone calls and emails and texts started pouring in as people were finding out, um, I think one response that, that meant the most really summed up all the other responses was a, a family life director that we've been working with for over five years. Uh, she emailed us that day and she just said, woohoo, you know, she says, I feel like this honor is for all of us who've been in the trenches 
for so many years who didn't accept the status quo sort of check the boxes approach to marriage preparation. All of us who've been encouraging uh, parishes to go deeper and to support couples and to really walk with them. She said that this honor, this recognition, she said it's for all of us. And so she she was so thrilled. Um, and that's just really the response we've had is everybody who's just been in it uh, for so many years feels so encouraged. Um, a bishop told us, he said, I, I feel like I've been heard. You know, I feel like this is is for me as well. So um so it's yeah, it's it's exciting. It's an honor. We we've already been uh, very involved in working in the idea, the arena, the area of the marriage catechumenate. This idea of walking with couples before and after the wedding day, um, and and so, in in one sense, it's a surprise, but another, it's not. Um, this is something we've been involved in for so long, for almost fifteen years now, that in this arena, but especially in the past twelve years. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. Imp- it's exciting. It's important work that you all do. So thank you for doing what you do. We have about a minute left or so. Um, so for folks that may not know about Witness to Love, can you quickly tell us about it, where they can get for more information as well, and why it's so important to, to you know talk about this beautiful sacrament of marriage and encourage more young people to enter into it? Yeah, I think St. John Paul II recognized clearly clearly that the, the way of the church is the family, and Witness to Love really came out of not a not a, um, a content-making organization or a, a video-making organization, but something that really was tapping into the need for that communities where it had an essential role in the formation for any sacrament, but particularly for the sacrament of matrimony. And so when we, in our conversation in, in the dicastery in Rome, they thought it was peculiar that in the United States that so much marriage formation was outsourced to third parties. Our experience of witness love is that it comes really back to the domestic church of St. John Paul II highlighted. So really, in in the United States and in much of the world, marriage preparation is outsourced. So it used to happen within the home that you grew up in, and then the parish kind of stepped in and helped, and the diocese would step in and help. Um, But today, in today's world, I mean, you can get certified in Adobe uh, with more difficulty than you can get prepared for the sacrament of marriage. And um, and that's that's sad. And there's so there's a lot for us to think about and to challenge and to grow when it comes to how are we preparing couples for the vocation uh, of marriage, not just a stopping point in their life, but their their vocation as a married couple. Yeah, it's so important. Thank you all for what you do. We appreciate Congratulations and God bless you both. Thank you. Thank you. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.